You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Eddie Dowling, a senior sales manager who has over 12 years of leadership experience in the healthcare industry. Eddie has a long track record of building and managing multiple award-winning teams. Eddie's also a certified leadership coach, which we'll talk about a little later in the episode. Eddie, welcome to Leadership Jam Session. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you ready to jam? Let's jam. All right. So I'm excited to have you on my podcast because I've known you for a very long time. In fact, I met you when you first became a manager and you took over your very first team. And it's been a privilege watching you grow into the leader you are today. And people love working for you. I mean, you've built a strong following. In fact, you recently were promoted, and I know that you're going to have the ability to build out a team, and you've got people lined up wanting to come join your, your new team. So my question is, what's the secret? So what's in the magic sauce? Thanks, Rob. I appreciate your comments. I appreciate the fact that you've been a, a good mentor for me over the last 12 years, and part of who I am as a leader today is a result of having good people like you around me. So I appreciate that. I wish I could tell you that there is a a magic sauce for me as a leader, but that would be just not true. I've taken things from previous leaders that I've learned that have shaped me and tried to instill that in the teams that I've built. And really, one of the things that's really important to me is to try to build a, a team atmosphere that almost feels like a family. And that involves increased communication, earning trust and really trying to bring value as the leader. And so I feel like as a result of that, folks are, they feel empowered. They want to work hard. They want to do well, not just for themselves, but also for the team. And if you can make that happen, and I've been fortunate to be a part of some really good teams, it's really a positive environment. So that's what I try to create. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Your your teams, they are kind of like a family. So what do you do? Because that's hard to get that type of cohesiveness, to get that type of team unity. So maybe you could share a few things you do with the listeners that might work for them. I do a couple of different things. I increase communication, but I also bring them into my world. I've had people over to my house. We do fun team building activities together to sort of break down barriers, just to try to create a relationship outside of work. So I really focus on doing that as a way to build that sort of family atmosphere. Yeah. And hopefully your wife does the cooking because I've had some of your cooking, man. (laughs) (laughs) That is for sure. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny whenever you, you have people sort of outside of that eight to five environment and they get to meet my wife and my children, or if I do the same for them, you get a chance to meet their spouse and, and their kids. It really is, it gives you something to talk about and it builds a bridge and a relationship with somebody that you got to work with. It's just really powerful. And, and no, I don't do the, the cooking. Thank goodness. So there's two schools of thought out there. The one is you've got managers like, like yourself that don't mind getting more personal with your team members. And then you have the other school of thought where you've got some managers that are pretty adamant that this is business and there's a clear separation between professional and personal lives. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. It comes down to a style. I do think that there's no right or wrong. I think this goes back to situational leadership and understanding your yourself as a leader, first of all. So having self-awareness of who you are as a leader, but also having good understanding of who your people are and how to push and pull the levers that you need to be successful with your team. I have a leader right now that I report to who does one of the best jobs for me in that he challenges me to be successful, but he also extends that olive branch of trust in a relationship too. It's like a, such a powerful environment for me. It makes me want to do well for him. It makes me feel challenged at work. It makes me feel accountable. It's just a, it's a really nice environment for me to work in. Well, I think you bring up a great point. It, it is situational, right? Because some people want more of that personal connection while others don't. And a, a good leader knows the balance and, and knows what type of style they need to bring to the table, depending on who's sitting in front of them. I do think that for some leaders, it's difficult for them to maybe get a little bit of that, that personal connection because it, it might hold them back in terms of having some difficult conversations. When you've done these activities, you've done team building, sometimes you have a, you're bringing your team to your house. It, it does build that unity. It does help to build that, that family environment. And I understand the other side of the argument that you want to keep that, that separation. But I think that's because there are some out there that struggle to then be able to be more objective or to be able to hold their people accountable. I've taken a similar approach with you. I've often got to know my people and consider them, some of them to be friends. And yet I would still do nothing less than I would do with anyone else in terms of making sure I was properly managed, coaching them and developing them, including even having to have some of the hard conversations with them. I think sometimes having the more difficult conversations is more effective because of that relationship that you have. Let's take, for example, that you have a specific competency or a specific thing that someone is failing at. If you have a relationship with someone and then you were able to sit down and, and, and talk about an area where he or she was failing, I think that conversation is more effective because of that relationship. Right. Because people know what your intent is. They know you, at the end of the day, you have their best interests at heart. And that's all they really care about. That word you just used, intent, is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that relationship, I feel like that intent is always coming from a place where you're trying to make that person better. Yeah, so it's almost counterintuitive. And I get it. Having a personal relationship makes some people scared because they may not be able to effectively manage them the way they should. In reality, as long as you have the discipline and you see it differently, that it becomes a more powerful relationship to be able to coach and develop your people more effectively. But it is hard to see that without experiencing it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. I think the other piece that you and I definitely have experienced in our careers is that relationship doesn't start from day one. That relationship is earned and grown over a period of time. So it's not like when we've had opportunities to take over teams or that doesn't just immediately start on day one. 
that's something where I feel as the leader of the group, I have to go out and earn that. And I earn that by bringing value. I earn that by observing. I earn that by acting in a way that's consistent with the behaviors of a leader. I earned that in a way by over, I earned that over time, but it's not something that is given freely and doesn't start on day one. Yeah. And it's different for every single person on your team. That timeline, the way you do it, how long it takes is going to be different for each person. Completely agree. Let's be honest. You've had to manage through some very difficult scenarios over the years, times of change and uncertainties, particularly when you worked for a couple of companies where they were bought out and you had to manage through that that ambiguity and uncertainty. And you've managed through that very successfully, as I observed over the years. What are some best practices you can share with the listeners that, that, you've, that you've done to help keep your teams more engaged through times like that? I think for me, there's really three central concepts that have been effective in managing through change. And I have been through lots of change over the course of my 12 years as a leader. First of all, I think vulnerability admitting to your team that you're going through change too, that you don't have all the answers and being honest and being humble during those times is really, really powerful because they're going to look to you during times of adversity and uncertainty and ambiguity. And I think being honest with them, I think is, is really important. I think the second concept that I've applied during those times is increased communication. So, for example, we regularly meet the uh, conference call every two weeks. During times of increased ambiguity or increased uncertainty, we go to once a week. And I put that as a placeholder, even if I don't necessarily have any new information, I put that as a placeholder for the team to know that we're going to have a discussion potentially. We're going to discuss kind of what's going on and what we know, and we're going to make it fact-based. And we're going to all leave there together, sort of on the same page and focused on the job at hand and try to our best to eliminate any organizational noise and just focus on our job. And I think the, the third thing that I think has been really applicable, identifying a central theme that you can rally around. And whatever that central theme might be, I think for whatever industry you are, whether it's a goal or a prize or just something at the end of that tunnel that you can rally around together. For us in the healthcare industry, it's patience. But I could absolutely see it being effective in, in other areas as well. And if you can rally around that central theme during times of uncertainty and ambiguity, I think it, again, it keeps people focused. I liked how you talked about being vulnerable and being able to admit that you may not know what's going on. I think that's hard for leaders because we put that pressure on us that we have to have all the answers. Yeah, that was one of the things that was a mistake that I made early on in my leadership career that I thought I had to have all the answers for everything. Mm -hmm. Instead, now, admitting that vulnerability, but then going out and working really hard to try to answer that question on behalf of your team, I think is a great way to earn trust and bring value. If someone from your team has a, has a question and you go out and you work really hard to, to answer that, that's a huge win. Totally agree. I made a um, similar mistake later in my uh, career when I was managing managers and I had a whole region under me and we were going through a restructuring or the rumor was a potential restructuring. And a couple of my managers were pushing me to have a call with the entire region. And I kept pushing back saying, there's no point in me having a call 
because I have no information. I have zero information. In my mind, I figured by doing that, it would only exacerbate a lot of the distractions that were out there. I would only be contributing to it. In fact, I realized that I was making a mistake because to your point, your employees just sometimes need to hear from you. Even to simply state, I'm in this together with you. I don't have much information or I don't have any information, but let's just talk and I'll share with you what I do know and or what I need to try to find out for us. And that does go a long way, that humility piece. One of the things, Rob, that I've learned is during, particularly during times of uncertainty, there's an opportunity to fill the vacuum with your direction. And if you don't fill it with a va- that vacuum with your direction, it's going to get filled up with something. And typically it's negative and it takes away your focus. So I've just, that's why I think you need to increase communication during these times. And I mean, it doesn't even necessarily extend, extend to times of uncertainty. We've leveraged that during times of positive things occurring. Say when you're launching a new product or something new and exciting is happening, you use that as, a, as an opportunity to keep that momentum going by that increased communication. No, it's a great point. When we are lacking information, we do fill in the gaps, and it's never with anything positive in most cases. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, just to go back and make a connection to the the way you approach building your team with that unity and, and the trust you've built, and I know you and I have been through these restructurings where sometimes people get displaced, that the number of spots we have is less than the amount of people we have on our teams. So as you think through those times, and had to have some of those very difficult discussions or been through those scenarios, would you change your approach? Do you regret establishing some of those deeper relationships and then having to potentially let go of people? Rob, I would not regret my style of building these relationships with my uh, team, even during times of uncertainty or layoffs or what have you. Uh, And the reason why, although it was difficult for me, There's no question about it. The reason why I don't regret it is because I was able to maintain those relationships even after. And I still stay in touch with those folks where we had to go through some layoffs. So to me, that's evidence that my style was effective and it worked. That even despite having to go through that adversity, those relationships were were maintained afterwards. I could imagine that people, you know, some of the listeners might be thinking, well, your people are going to now just blame you for not taking care of them. So, Rob, that was not the experience that I've had in those situations. And I think it goes back to a word that you used in our discussion, intent. My experience with those individual scenarios was that they knew that my intent was to try to do everything I could to help them during the process, even after after these situations, even after these layoffs went, occurred, they knew my intent was positive and they trusted me. Yeah. And it sounds like that you've even managed to maintain those relationships even after. Yeah. I've been fortunate to be able to maintain those folks and see them grow in their career in other areas, which has been to me further evidence that the, the, the secret sauce that you mentioned earlier was effective. I know that, that your people love working for you, and I also know that you love managing people. So what do you enjoy most about leading people? Rob, it's, it's, it's a great question. I actually get energy from working with teams. Uh, and it's funny, 
you know, earlier on in my uh, career, I didn't recognize it, but now I can almost feel like an energy that I get from working with people and helping them grow and succeed. And a couple things that give me energy are, first of all, their success. Uh, I love seeing people on my team do well. It's validating, but I, I just thoroughly enjoy it. But I also like seeing them just grow on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I think seeing them, you know, recognize opportunities on their own and become more self-aware, I just really thoroughly enjoy that. And that just gives me, it just gives me a sense of pride and a sense of accomplishment. It's really what I love doing. It's why I love this role that I have. So maybe you can share an example of what you do or how you contribute to their development. Actually, we've had some success recently around emotional intelligence. And I've got three members of my team who have recently completed a self-awareness course. And as you know, Rob, those courses can be so powerful and can provide some real opportunities for growth and development. One of the things that I've done, because I'm a big believer in some of the self-awareness that I've learned through these classes in the past, has been that created an accountability model for the folks who've attended these classes. And that goes to going through the results that they go through after completing the emotional intelligence class and really incorporating that into their development on a regular basis, including that into our discussions, including how that might be applied in front of their customers and really weaving that emotional intelligence into all of our discussions moving forward. Unfortunately, I think sometimes you can go take a class and you get really excited about a concept perhaps for that during that class and maybe you bring it home for a day or two and then it becomes getting, you get back into the regular grind. But I think when, particularly for emotional intelligence, that's something that we need to be weaving it in. We need to create accountability around. And that's my role as a leader to continue that discussion, continue that momentum and growth that you get from a class like that. Now, I know you're talking about specifically emotional intelligence, but do you find yourself doing that with the follow-up and getting involved with their development and providing them additional supplemental coaching after any course your people go to, or are you just talking specifically around that one? So emotional intelligence is a recent example of a course that I've created an accountability model to weave that into our discussion. But I think this is applicable for any type of growth and development that you're going through at your company. I've used this this same sort of types of discussions in the past with uh, other courses. And I think it's something that, you know, has been successful. And honestly, Rob, it's been a growth and development opportunity for me as a leader, because I love to see what folks are taking away from these classes. And then I can weave it into how I lead this team and lead that person. You know, while I listed the emotional intelligence as a recent example, I think this is applicable across any course. So I think this is something very important for my listeners out there to, to kind of walk away with. And I see it from not only the side of teaching these courses, but I see the value in it from where leaders take the time to then follow up with their employees on courses that they sent them to attend and provide additional supplemental support. I've seen it where employees have grown tremendously faster in their skills when their managers are involved behind the scenes, pulling it through. And I think that's exceptional what you've done. And and I believe it's, again, another ingredient to the success of your teams over the years. I think the other important thing too, 
that you mentioned, Eddie, is is what you gain from it and how you learn and grow. And we've talked about this, and I mentioned this on some of my other episodes, that being a leader is a lifelong journey of learning. And this gets back to even the individual investment you made for yourself on enhancing your leadership skills by going and becoming a certified leadership coach. And have you grown through that experience? So going through and becoming a certified executive coach, for me, going into that process, I thought that I was going to be able to learn skills and habits that I could apply to my team in an effort to sort of move them in a direction that I wanted things to occur. But honestly, Rob, going through that course taught me a lot about emotional intelligence and a lot about myself. And I think that speaks to you cannot be an effective leader until you know who you are and who you're not. Mm -hmm. And I, I will tell you that course that I went through over the course of 18 months, I spent a majority of the time learning about who I am and who I'm not. And that's made me so much of a better leader. And it's also given me the opportunity and the excitement around, you know, surrounding myself with people that are really talented in areas where I'm not. And I think that makes the team better. Yeah. And what's interesting is you didn't take that course early in your management career. That came later. That was only a few years ago. And still, I mean, it's great to hear you, the humility, just even talking about how much you've learned, even with all the experience you already had walking into it. What you just said is so true. Learning and development is a journey, an ongoing journey. It's not something that you should do and stop. And I've challenged my team over the course of my 12-year career as a leader to continue to learn and grow. And I need to continue to learn and grow as a leader myself. So kind of like the proof is in the pudding, right? I need to, mm-hmm. I need to be and to demonstrate what leadership looks like by continuing to grow and learn as a leader. And I feel like the last thing I'll say about that is that you're either accelerating in your leadership and, and growing in your leadership or you're, you're falling behind. There is no sort of stagnant situation. You're either accelerating or you're falling behind. Well, last question, it kind of ties into what we're talking about because I know you, you love reading leadership books. What's the one book, your favorite book, that you can recommend to our leaders? A book that I've read twice already is a book by Simon Sinek called Leaders Eat Last. And Simon is a popular guy on YouTube, has written several books. But this book speaks to me. It's around servant leadership. I absolutely believe in that concept of servant leadership. And it takes a military concept around the leaders and the military are always the last ones to eat. So they make sure that all members of their team get their food first and then they eat last with whatever's left. And I think that servant leadership mentality is absolutely applicable and, you know, not just in the military, but in any industry. Well, Eddie, our time is up. On behalf of my listeners, I want to thank you for coming in and jamming with me today and sharing your leadership experiences and some of your best practices. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Rob. I appreciate it. And I wish you good luck with your podcast. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're enjoying the podcast, then click the subscribe button, leave a review, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast.